0: Chapter 7 this morning, Luke chapter 7. If you're wondering where the Gospel of Luke is, it's in your New Testament, second half of your Bible. We're looking at the third book in the New Testament, that's the Gospel of Luke. Uh, How many of us know it's been snowing these past few days? Have you been enjoying the snow? Yeah? Uh, Anyone sick of the snow yet? Uh, Maybe some of you are nodding as well, you know, Vancouver is an interesting place when it comes to snow, some people love it, some people hate it, Uh, and uh, you know, I know my kids love it, Uh, my my son in particular who's six years old, he's loving snow right now, and how many of us know that when there's a snowstorm, it's really important to have the right equipment, everyone say the right equipment. Amen. And, and when when we say right equipment, I mean you got you hopefully you got a hat, hopefully you got a glo- some gloves, hopefully you got a scarf. Uh, I find boots are really important. Uh, you know, hopefully you have that. Uh, having a good shovel is important. Salt important. If you got four wheel drive, that's an extra bonus. You know, if you've got that. Uh, you know, I, and I found like we we went out to, to the park on I think it was Wednesday, and it was one of those snow days where you know uh, Bradley didn't have school and it was snowed in, and so we went off onto a hill, one of the local hills uh, in our neighborhood, and we saw all these kids kind of going. Down their, the, the hill and the little sleds, some on plastic bags, uh, you know, some on very like like heavy duty, very sophisticated kind of sleds. Uh, and uh, we had this little dinky, uh, you know, like kind of kind of like a kind of like a foam board thing that we used. And, and Bradley went down that, and, and I, I went down that with him. And he saw these other people with lo- much bigger sleds going down, going a lot further. And he looked at me, and I looked at him. And he's like, "Yeah, Dad, I kind of want one of those." Uh, and just goes, just goes to show that it matters what kind of equipment you have. Amen. Turn to and say, it matters what kind of equipment you have. It matters what kind of equipment you have. And the fact is this, is the Bible is our equipment. When it comes to the storms of life, there's nothing that you need more to equip yourself with than the word of God. Uh, it is useful for correcting, training, rebuking, and teaching us in righteousness so that we can be fully equipped for everything that we go through in life. If you believe it, say amen. And it's with that in mind that I've got the very big privilege this morning of sharing uh, a message with you that I hope is going to be an encouragement to you as we go into this long weekend, family day weekend. This morning, we are continuing a series here at Thrive. It's called A Luke at Jesus. Everyone say A Luke at Jesus. And in this series, we've been taking a look at Jesus through the gospel of Luke. And, you know, you're going to find that we've been going at a fairly fast clip these past couple weeks. When we first started the book of Luke, we went chapter by chapter, sequence by sequence. But you're going to find this is that now not only we're taking a look at Jesus on Sundays, but we're also taking a look at Jesus every single day. You know that is that we're doing something called the game challenge. I to say the game challenge. And if you know what the game stands for, say it with me. The game stands for the God and me experience. It's because we believe that you were made to experience God. And not just on a Sunday here at church, but you were made to experience God in your own life every single day. If you believe that, say amen. And that's why we're encouraging everyone in the church to get into the game. It's where we will, together as a church, go through our you know, our game booklet. There's a Bible passage in there every day for us to read. It's from the Gospel of Luke. And so you're going to see that we're taking a look at Jesus every single day, and it's something worth doing. And we're doing that this week. We're doing it next week. We're doing it all the way into the month of March uh, because the more you take a look at Jesus, the more our lives change. And so that's why we're taking a look at Jesus together. Look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50 with me. Let's read this in a big, loud voice this morning. Could you read with me together and help me preach this place this morning? What does it say? It says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's been forgiven, Forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Today, the message I'm here to share with you is called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. Would you turn to your neighbor and, with a very reassuring tone in your voice, tell them, Don't sweat the small stuff? Don't sweat the small stuff. What do I mean by don't sweat the small stuff? What I mean by that is don't be the kind of person who's so fixated and worried and caught up in the little things that you miss the big picture. Don't sweat the small stuff. You know, I often like to start with the end in mind. And so could we look at verses 48 and 49 together this morning? That's what we're going to start. We're going to start with the end in mind. What does it say there? It says in verse 48, it says, Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this? Who even forgives sins. See, Jesus is speaking to this woman that we're gonna meet in just a minute, and she says, Your sins are forgiven. And by claiming to forgive, people's sins, Jesus was making a huge and unprecedented claim. He was claiming to be God, because in the Jewish mind, only God could forgive sins. And so when Jesus was saying, your sins are forgiven, he was essentially claiming to be God. And people were asking, who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? Who does this guy think he is? Who is this who even forgives sins? It's a legitimate question. The fact is this, it's easy for anyone to claim anything. You go on the internet, and you're going to see all sorts of countless different theories and opinions on all sorts of things and the fact is this how are we to know who we're we're supposed supposed to believe how do you know it? When it comes to especially the most important questions in life, the meaning of life, you know, is there a God? You know, is there an afterlife? If there is a God, what is that God like? In our day, we are confronted with so many different and often conflicting, contradictory messages about what life is all about and who God is. You know, you got Muhammad, who was the founder of Islam. He made a bunch of claims about who God is, and then he died. You know, Siddhartha Gautama, he's known as the Buddha. He founded Buddhism, made a bunch of claims about what this life is all about and what the afterlife is all about, and then, he died. You got a guy like Joseph Smith who started Mormonism, said a whole bunch of things about God and about Jesus, and then he died. You got someone like, you know, uh, you know, like, for, for example, you've got, um, uh, you know, AC Swami, who you know, started the Hare Krishna movement, and he said a whole bunch of things about what this life is all about, and what the afterlife is like, and then he died. All of these religious founders made all these claims, and then they died, and now their remains are still in their tombs to this day. You know what? Here's the thing. The only one who made claims about God and And died but then did something else that is he rose again the only one is Jesus Christ and see with all due respect to Muhammad and Buddha and Joseph Smith and AC Swanee the fact is this is if you're going to follow any one of these guys I would suggest that you follow the one who's not dead anymore See, the only Jesus backed up his words and his claims by rising again. Anyone can claim anything, but the thing that makes Jesus Christ unique is that he backed up his claims by doing something that no one else could do. He rose from the grave. And if Jesus didn't rise again, then he's just like any one other dead person who said a bunch of things that are interesting. If he's just another dead man with a bunch of different claims, you don't have to take him that seriously. But if Jesus rose again, the implications are huge. If Jesus rose again, what that means is that Jesus is not any ordinary human being, but that he is who he claims to be, which is the Son of God. If Jesus died and then rose again, what that means is that Jesus' words carry more weight than someone who died and didn't rise again. When Jesus, you know, rose again, or if he rose again, that means that when when Jesus makes a claim like your sins are forgiven, it's a reliable claim, it's a reliable promise and not an empty one. And see, if you have questions about whether Jesus rose again, then I'm going to put to you today that this coming year, one of the most important things and one of the best things, one of the most helpful things that you can do for your life this coming year is to explore that question. If you think, you know that resurrection stuff that we talk about, like Jesus rising again, that sounds like a fairy tale to me if that's you, then I want to encourage you to look a bit more closely at the evidence. You know, we're not going to go into the evidence today, but you you can go to find a book like The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, or The Reason for God by Tim Keller, or or, or Mark Clark. He's got one called The Problem of God. And when you look at the evidence, and just as I did many, many years ago when I had all these questions about the resurrection, you might find that it might change your mind, and you might actually find that there are actually really good reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the grave. With that in mind, let's get into today's passage this morning. Look at Luke, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 together with me right now. Would you read it with me in a big loud voice. What does it say? It says, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. You're going to notice this, is that each of the Gospels, all four Gospels New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all describe a situation, a scene in Jesus' life, where Jesus is eating at someone's house, and then a woman comes and pours perfume on him. And see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all describe it. But if you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, the details in Matthew, Mark, and John are a little bit different from what we're reading here in Luke. And it leads scholars to believe that there was probably at least two incidents in jesus life where jesus is eating dinner at a person's home and there a woman anoints him with perfume so what matthew mark and john are talking about is something that happened probably much much later in jesus ministry close to his arrest close to his crucifixion close to his death the one we're reading about here is one that happened much much likely earlier in jesus life and see in this case what we find is jesus he's invited to dinner by a man called simon everyone say Simon. Simon, he is a Pharisee. And as we've been learning in this series called the Look at Jesus, we found that the Pharisees were the religious elite. They were the religious leaders of Israel, famous for sweating the small stuff. They were so fixated, so worried about their mad-made rules that didn't come from the Bible. They just sort of made them up in the process because they thought it sounded religious, and they became extremely legalistic. What does legalistic mean? Legalistic means you're so fixated and you're so focused in on man-made rules that in the process, you miss the point of God's word. In the process, process, you miss God's heart. In the process, you miss the reason for God's commands. Here's the thing. I'm not against rules. See, see, in every home, every organization, every business, even every relationship you have, rules are necessary. See, ask, you know, Grammy award-winning singer Dua Lipa, and she'll tell you about some new rules that she set up in her relationships. And the fact is, we need rules to keep things in order. We need rules to, 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 so that people know what to expect of one another. We need rules so that we can ideally maximize our enjoyment of certain things. If you don't believe that, just imagine playing a sport or playing a game where there's just no rules. Could you imagine that? That's not fun at all. It's like, what's the point of that? We need rules, but the thing is this. Rules are good when they serve the people. But the moment it's it's flipped, the moment the rules are no longer serving the people, but the people are serving the rules, that's when things get unhealthy. If you believe us, say amen. And that's what happens with the Pharisees. They are you know, they're so focused on these rules. They're sweating the small stuff and they're missing the big picture. Now here we have Jesus. Jesus, he's coming onto the scene as the most prolific teacher and healer that they've ever seen. And here he's teaching the word of God with, with authority. He's healing people with power. He's leading people back to God. And in the process, Jesus is bumping up against so many of these rules that the Pharisees set up, which are not in the Bible, just rules that they've made up. And as a result, Jesus has become public enemy number one in the eyes of these Pharisees. And so my question for this is, why would Simon, who's a Pharisee, why would he invite Jesus to his home for dinner? If Jesus is so you know, hated by the Pharisees, then why would he invite him to dinner? Was it because Simon was secretly respecting Jesus and wanted Jesus to be uh, his teacher and he wanted to follow Jesus? Probably not. Probably not. See, you're going to see that you know, even though Simon invited Jesus to his home, Simon would not treat Jesus with even the basic courtesies that we would normally treat someone who's in their home. More likely what happened is the reason why Simon invited Jesus was because Simon was hoping to trap Jesus. That Simon was hoping to find something and hear something, what Jesus said or what Jesus did, that would be a basis for accusing Jesus later on. And what better way to do that when you're, you've got home court advantage? You're right in your own home. See, back then it was very common for out-of-town rabbis or teachers to be, you know, invited to dinner after teaching at a synagogue and they'd go to that person's home and members of the public could come and, and be part of that event. They wouldn't necessarily eat the food, but they would kind of stand around and, you know, you know, sort of in the back listening to the conversation and it was a way for, you know, the community to participate in that event. And I think Simon probably thought, you know what? all right, I'm going to invite Jesus into my home and while he's reclining at the table, let's see if he coughs something up that I can use against him later. And so Jesus, who loves all people, he accepts Simon's invitation. He he loves tax collectors. He loves prostitutes. He also loves Pharisees. And so when Simon says, I invite you in, he says, okay, I'll come in. That just goes to show that when you invite Jesus, he is happy to make his presence felt. Amen. But see, here's the thing that while he's reclining at the table, notice he's not sitting at the table, he's reclining. Because back then you didn't sit at a seat with a table and eat dinner. What you did was this, you reclined at the table. And so you're, you're, you're kind of like this, you're, you're, you're on a couch, you're lying with your left arm propping yourself up, you're, you got your right hand, you know, using your right hand to eat, you know, in between courses you could do this, you could do, you know, some planks, you know, you know, and just get yourself, get your core ready for the next meal, and that's what Jesus was doing. He was reclining at the table, and while he's reclining at the table, an amazing thing happens. There's this woman who comes behind Jesus and does something that no one expects. Look at verse 37. What happens there? Look at the, with me. Verse 37 says, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Verse 38, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume See, what's going on? As Jesus is reclining at the table having this meal, he's approached from behind by a woman who had a reputation for living a pretty dirty life. Some scholars believe that she was perhaps the town prostitute. That she was perhaps in some way known for sleeping around. She had become notorious for it. We don't know her name, but her reputation preceded her. And she probably heard Jesus speaking at one time, maybe in a synagogue, but probably more, more, more probably, probably in an open air kind of event where she hears the words of Jesus. She sees the actions of Jesus. And she is so inspired. She's so comforted. She's so helped. She's so touched by what Jesus is doing and who Jesus is. And see, Jesus didn't sound like all those men that have used in the past, there was a hope there. There was a strength there. There was a comfort there. There was a purity there that she just, that drew her in such a, a powerful way. And so when she learns that Jesus was at this Pharisee's house, she decides to bring Jesus an offering. And how many of us know that's a very healthy attitude? Amen. Is that, you know, if you want to grow spiritually, don't just be a consumer who's always about give me, give me, give me, get, 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 get. get. It's all about, you know, I could go, I'll go to, you know, I'll go to this church to, to listen to the teaching. I'll go to this church to, to get this. I'll go to this church because that girl's cute. I'll go to this church. And, and you're just kind of moving to different places just to get, 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 get. But see, this is the thing, is that if you want to grow spiritually, it's about give and serve as freely as you've received. Amen. That's how you grow. Turn to your and say, that's how you grow. And so this is what this woman decides to do. She brings this alabaster jar of perfume. Back then, jars of perfume were made out of alabaster. And she intends to give Jesus an offering. She intends to pour the perfume on Jesus' feet. But then as she's about to do that, she comes from behind. She's about to pour it on his feet. And she didn't feel like she had the, 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 the status to pour it on her head. So she pours it very humbly on his feet. But as she's doing that, she becomes so touched by being in the presence of Jesus. So touched by the thought of Jesus that she begins to weep. She begins to cry. Her tears fall off her face and onto his feet. And she's like, oh my goodness. And so she starts to wipe his feet. You know, she starts to wipe his feet with her hair. And then she starts to kiss his feet. What's going on here? See, was this an act of seduction? No, this was not an act of seduction. This was an act of honor. And worship, and see, there's a number of lessons we learned from, let me just share a couple with, them, you, with you this morning. See, back in Jesus' day, do you know that a woman's hair was seen as one of her most valuable possessions? You know, in, in fact, if you look at the verse, a verse in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how in his day, culturally speaking, the, a woman's hair was her glory. And so as a result, most women, if they were married, they would not show their hair publicly. They would bound it up, and they'd only show their husband uh, in the home. And to just kind of reveal your hair, to expose your hair, was sometimes seen as a bit scandalous. And the fact that this woman would use her hair publicly to wipe Jesus' feet probably suggests one of two things. One could be that she didn't think very much of herself. That by this point, she didn't feel glorious in any kind of way, given the kind of life that she'd lived and the mistakes that she'd made. And so she's like, fine, I'll just use my hair. But it could be that no matter what, no matter how she valued herself, the fact is that she valued Jesus even more than anything that she had. And when when she took what she had to serve Jesus, Jesus' heart was touched. What's the lesson you learn here? You can write this down. is that It touches God's heart when you take what is valuable of yours, whether it's your treasure, your time, your talents, and you use it to serve Jesus. Amen. Is that it, God takes note of you and the service you give when you give from what's valuable of yours to serve him. You know, after trying to play out this scene in my head for a few times this past week, I can bet you something. I can bet you that this woman, when she went to see Jesus with that offering of perfume, that she wasn't planning on crying. She wasn't planning on weeping. She wasn't planning on making a scene on that day. I bet she wasn't planning on doing any of those things. I bet what you I'll, I'll bet you that what she simply thought was, you know, she's so touched by what Jesus has already done in her life. She decides, I'm gonna let me see what, what is something I can find in my home that I can give to Jesus. She finds this alabaster jar of perfume, the most expensive thing she has. She brings it to Simon's house. She sees Jesus, and when she thinks she's got an opportunity, she pours it over her his feet. But as she's doing it, she is so touched by being in Jesus' presence that all these emotions start to well up in her and she starts to cry she starts to weep and she's like oh my goodness there's like jesus feet are all wet with my tears i can't leave it this way and she's like what i don't have any tissues i don't have a towel and she just uses her hair to start wiping it this way anyway you know, I, I, it reminds me of a scene back when i was about i think 10 years old where my dad, he used to manage properties or apartment buildings for other people. And so I'd go along with him sometimes to collect rent checks. Uh, could you imagine a 10-year-old boy going, can I have your rent, please? Uh, and, and, and that was, the, and we, we kind of did that. And, and here's the thing, is um, I w- remember there's one time when I went to an apartment building that uh, my dad was managing, and uh, he said, hey, can you clean some windows for me today? I was like, okay, sure. And so I, I brought a, a window sprayer and I went to that, uh, to that apartment, and as I'm spraying the window, all of, my videos, I, I also, all of a sudden I realized I have nothing to dry the spray with. And so what I did, I, there's no towels, there's no napkins. And so what I did at 10 years old, I took my shoes off, I took my socks off, and I used my socks, my dirty, sweaty socks, to wipe the windows with my socks, and you can just imagine this, you know, as people are coming in and out of the apartment building, you see this, you know, this chunky Chinese barefoot boy, who's, who's just, just like, just wiping their windows with his socks, and like, what is going on, and it just reminds me of that moment, that like, I didn't have any plan to wipe it with that, but it was just there, I just did it because I didn't know what else to do, I believe that in many ways, that's what this woman was going through as well, she didn't know what else to do, but it all began because this woman was intentional about loving Jesus, and see, when she had the plan and the intention of giving Jesus an offering, all of a sudden, as she's moving with that intention, these feelings follow her. And see, what's the lesson there that I want to let you know today is, is this. You write this down. Is that in relationships, whether it's your relationship with God or it's your relationship with people, feelings often follow intention. See what I mean by that? We we focus so much on feelings in relationships. We want to feel good in our relationships. In fact, I don't know about you, but I find this is that when there's a relationship that I care about where I know that the feelings between us are not good, there's a stress that comes with that. In fact, it's a bigger stress than anything that you experience in the office or in school. Is that there's a stress that comes from strained relationships because we all want to feel good in our relationships. But see, the thing that we often miss, the thing that we sometimes fail to realize is that feelings often follow intention. See, what I mean by intention, you can write this down. See, more than just a thought of doing something. When I say intention, what I mean today is the resolve and the decision to do something. That's what intention is. Let me ask you this question. If you're wondering, what does it mean for feelings to follow intention? Has this ever happened to you before? You say it's Valentine's Day. Or say it's someone's birthday. And you know that you should probably do something for that day, that occasion, for that person. You might not feel a lot of feelings for that person at that moment, but you know it's probably the right thing to do. And so as an act of love, as an act of faith, because how many of us know that love is more than a feeling? As an act of faith, as a decision, you decide, I'm going to go get a card, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to write that card. And all of a sudden, even though at the moment you weren't really thinking about anything, you weren't really feeling any way in particular toward that person, as you sit there and you're thinking about that person, as you sit there and you're thinking about what to write, all of a sudden, you start to get a little bit emotional that are happening before or all of a sudden you start to feel like wow I just have a lot more to write than I originally thought has that person changed in the past five minutes that you've been writing no they haven't you know what changed it was your focus it was your intention and what happened was you went with an intention and your feelings followed that intention if that makes sense say amen And see, if you're lacking feelings in a relationship today, maybe it's with your spouse or maybe it's with your kids or maybe it's with your parents or your siblings or someone else in your family or someone else that you care about, a friend of yours, if there are feelings that you wish were much, much stronger or much, much sweeter in that relationship and they're not for some reason, let me ask this question this morning and you might want to ask yourself this as well. How intentional have I been about loving that person? How intentional have I been? See, when that person's talking to me, do I intentionally give them my attention, my full attention, is that I put the phone down, I turn the screen off, I look at them in the eye, I listen attentively, I don't give them a blank stare, but I just watch and I listen attentively. Am I intentional in loving that person? Do I intentionally go out of my way to thank that person? When that person does something nice for me? Do I go out of my way to intentionally apologize when I make a mistake? Do I intentionally spend time with that person to build that relationship? Do I intentionally go out of my way to serve that person's deeper needs? See, here's the thing. Feelings follow intention. And so and that's why I want to tell you today, church, is this, not just this family day weekend, but every day, be intentional in the way that you love people, especially those dearest to you. Amen. Be intentional. Turn your say, be intentional. See, it, it's weird and it's almost sad that we can sometimes be so intentional about how we interact with people that we hardly know, you know, people that are almost like strangers to us and we'll be so careful about what we say, so careful about what we do, go out of our way to be intentional about blessing them, and yet when it comes to the people that are supposed to be the closest, most important people in our lives, we can be just careless and lazy and unintentional, Amen. And, and you know, I know as young as parents of young kids, sometimes there is a temptation to just ignore marriage, to ignore your marriage for the sake of the kids. Yeah, is we'll that? Oh, because of the kids, you know, we can't go on dates. Because of the kids, you know, we can't spend time together. Because of the kids, we can't spend on one another. We have to. T- it's all for the kids. And and see, it's easy to get caught up in all the work of being a parent that you forget to be a good husband or wife. And that's a big mistake. It's because, ironically, what your kid needs more than that new Pokemon set or that new video game, what they need more than anything else is they need to know that their parents are in love with one another. They need to know that their parents have a secure relationship because that brings security that no material possession can bring. If you believe that, say amen. And see, sometimes we can be tempted to... Put the marriage on the back burner so we can focus on the kids. I want to tell you that that's a mistake. You want to focus on being intentional in loving your spouse. And, you know, I I can tell you this as, uh, you know, I have a confession to make here. Um, You know, one of those, uh, one of the things that uh, I I was thinking about this past week, it's Valentine's weekend, it's family day weekend, is that when Charlene and I uh, were first married, I could tell you what we did on Valentine's Day for the first four or five years of our marriage. Yeah, like exactly what we did. I'll, I'll tell you. In two thousand, we got married in two thousand three. So our first Valentine's was two thousand four. Uh, and I remember we were, had a very, very romantic dinner at a Thai restaurant. It was me and Charlene and her parents and her brother and her grandmother. It was so romantic. It was so romantic. Well it was, it was nice. It was nice. It was it was, it was. it was. It was just a way for us to celebrate Valentine's. I remember that. I remember that. The next day, the next year, two thousand five. You know what we were? We we're at a French cafe. And I remember both of us worked overtime, and we both got gifts for one another. I remember I had a gift. It was a scrapbook that i made for Charlene, and we sipped tea as we, you know, as, as we celebrated Valentine's Day together. I remember 2006, we're at a Thai restaurant again. I guess we just really loved Thai food. Uh, and, and we were, you know, eating at this Thai restaurant. I still remember what what we were talking about in that day. I still remember what the restaurant looked like that day. I remember the next year, you know, we were at our, our favorite steakhouse, my favorite steakhouse. And, you know, we're having, you know, uh, we're having Valentine's Day dinner there. And I can remember, you know, you know, the, 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 you know Charlene looked lovely. The steak looked lovely. You know, my, my, my heart was a bit divided between those two, and, and, and it was one of those, It was I, I remember so much of that. But if you were to ask me, you know, what did you do for Valentine's Day after the kids came? I have no clue. I have no idea. In fact, I, I think we probably did something, we probably wrote something, but I just don't really remember. And, you know, when it came to Valentine's Day this past week, can I make a confession to the church this morning? Is that okay? Your pastor confessing something? Is that, you know, it, it, was, it, it was Valentine's Day. What was that? Was it Thursday? It was Valentine's Day. And, you know, I know some people are big on special occasions. Some people aren't. It's, it's, it's cool either way. But for me, I was like, oh, it's Valentine's Day. I remember I, I didn't think of anything on that day uh, to, to, to do. And so I was just like, I, I called her from the car. I was like, hey, Char, happy Valentine's Day. Uh, can I take you out for brunch? And she said, sorry, I already have a date. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you never asked. And, and she did have a date, but it's with a girl in the church, and they were just hanging, they were just hanging out. Uh, and, and it was not with another guy. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. And... and <laughs> And see, and see, here's the thing: is that I was like, oh, oh, no, no, oh no, I'm sorry. Okay, I should have been more intentional. Uh, you know, but can you meet after? Like maybe one o'clock? Oh, sorry, I've got a, I've got an appointment. How about two o'clock? Oh no, I got an appointment. How about three o'clock? No, no, you got an appointment. Four, and we went through the whole day and the whole like schedule that day, and we couldn't find a time all that day to spend any time together. And so as a result, we end up spending it that night together. And we end up, you know, you know, just after we put the boys to bed, we sat in the bed, and we just wrote notes to one another. And here's the thing. I don't know if it's because we already went on a date earlier that week. You know, Monday is usually our date night or a date day. Uh, and so I was like, oh, you know, we didn't need to do something for Valentine's Day. But it was a reminder that I need to be more intentional as a husband. Amen? Amen? And and maybe you're in that same place as well. And, you know, I remember I was writing on that bed, you know, not on the bed, but I'm sitting on the bed, and I'm writing this card. And as the more I'm thinking about Charlene, the more I'm thinking, wow, I've got so much stuff to write. Why? It's because your feelings follow your intention. Amen? You know, when you're intentional about loving others, you're going to find that when you're intentional, even when you don't feel like it at the time, when you're intentional, the feelings of love will eventually follow you. It'll follow both you and the person that you're trying to love. And I find that not just with people that you like and are very, very dear to you, it's with people that you don't like too. You'll find that, I find that this works when it comes to people who maybe even hurt you. Yeah, I remember a few years ago, someone did something, said some stuff to me that impacted me quite a bit. It hurt me quite a bit. And at first, I was really mad. And every time I thought about that person, I'm like, And every every time I thought about a person, I have a speech prepared in my mind of what I want to say to that person and all these thoughts about that person. And 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 eventually, after a couple weeks of this, I realized that for my own peace of mind, I couldn't keep on living this way. I can't keep living in the past this way. And so I decided, you know, I, I need to forgive this person somehow. And not because I feel like it, but because it's probably the right thing to do. It's probably the good thing to do. I know it's the Bible that says that I should forgive. And so I was like, okay, let me just try to do This and so I would just say whether I felt like it or not. Whenever I thought about that person, I would say, In Jesus' name, I bless that person. In Jesus' name, I forgive that person. And just say it, I say it over and over. And if I thought about that person four times, I'd say it four times. In Jesus' name, I forgive that person. In Jesus' name, I bless that person. Whether I felt forgiving or not, I would just kind of do that. And eventually, eventually, over time, it was tough to stay mad at that person. It's because your feelings follow your intention. Now, you might be, oh, well, that that just passes with time. No, not necessarily. I know people who've held grudges against people for little things, sweating the small stuff, held grudges with people for little things that have lasted decades. And it's because they have no intention of forgiving. They have every intention of remaining bitter. And guess what happens? The feelings follow the intention. And see, if you want to stop being, you know, beset by bitterness and unforgiveness, then maybe the thing to do is don't wait for the feeling of forgiveness to come to you before you forgive. You make the choice to forgive. You say, I'm going to make the intention to say, I bless this person regardless of how I feel. And if you keep on doing that, if you keep on making that choice, don't be surprised when the feelings come your way as well. Amen. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Amen. Turn neighbor and say, watch your intention watch your intention how about this what if you feel like you are often the one that is being intentional and the other person is not being intentional what if that happens have you ever felt that way before it's like why do i have to do all the work how about the other person maybe that's how you feel today well here's a couple suggestions for you if that's how you feel number one is this temper your judgment with compassion what does that mean well, I mean, let, me, let me give you an example. See, this past week was Valentine's Day, and I told you how I wasn't very intentional. And even though I, will, I know I should have been more intentional, there was a part of me that was like, Pastor Charlene, you should have been more intentional too. Why weren't you more intentional? Why, like, why, why does it have to always be me who has to do things? And, and, and you didn't even think about Valentine's Day. You already just went ahead and, and, and scheduled something with someone else, and, 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 and you didn't even know it was Valentine's Day that day. And, and, you know, but before I said any of those things to her, all of a sudden, somehow, by God's grace, I was reminded that actually Charlene is very intentional in so many ways, um, not just on Valentine's Day but every day. is that she's intentional about making sure that I get to eat the food that I like to eat She's intentional about letting me sleep in, even though she's more sleep-deprived than I am. She's more intentional about giving me the time I need to do the things that I need to do. And so it's almost like before you judge that other person for being so unintentional, consider that that person's situation and that person's challenges may make it kind of difficult for them. Or maybe it's that they've been intentional in ways that you've taken for granted. Amen. And so temper your judgment with compassion. The second thing is this, empathize with the way God feels. What does God have to do with this? Here's the thing. God loves to be with you and me. He loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and so he's intentional about being with us. So intentional that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins long before we had any intention of being with him. That's how intentional God is. And see, here's the thing. Whenever you feel like you're the one who's being intentional, but the other person is not very intentional, know that you now, feel a, you know, you now know how God feels a little bit. Amen. And, and if you feel like that person is never doing anything, you are always doing everything, well, guess what? God may actually feel the same way that way as well. And so don't take God for granted. Cherish your relationship with God and say, God, thank you for being always intentional with me. Amen. Be intentional in relationship with God. Read verse 39 with me right now. What does it say? Let's move on. It says, verse 39 says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. See, previously when I'd read this passage, And I'd see Simon talking this way. If this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him, what kind of woman she is. She's a sinner. When I would read this passage before, I used to think that the Pharisee was saying these things with nothing but disgust in his face or on his face. If Jesus was really a prophet, man, he would know that this woman is dirty and disgusting. But see, I I do think that there's a part of that that, that's there. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point, as he's talking to himself, it goes from disgust to elation and excitement he's like if this person if he knew if he was a prophet he would know oh wait wait i caught him I got him. I wanted to trap him. I got him. I, I want it. I got it. I want it. I got it. Okay, here we go. Is it, is it this, this man, he says he's a prophet, right? If he's a prophet, he would know that this woman is touching him and that she's a sinner. And so that the fact that Jesus is letting this woman touch him shows he's not from God. I got him. I got him. And, and see, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if that was going through Simon's mind. It's like, oh, I got him. And see, here's the thing. Simon assumed that a holy God, would want to have nothing to do with sinful men, But see, here's the thing. He was only half right. See, was this woman sinful? Yes, this woman was sinful. Is God holy? Yes, God is holy. Does our sin separate us from God such that we can have nothing to do with God no matter how much we tried? Yes, that's also the case. But see, what this Pharisee failed to realize is that despite our sin, God still loves people. And that Jesus came not to be the judge the first time, but he came to be the bridge between holy man, or holy God and sinful man. And the reason why Jesus, the son of God, could be touched by sinful man was because one day Jesus would take our sins to the cross and die for those sins so that what used to separate us from God no longer needs to separate us anymore. If you believe I give God a big, big hand here at this place right now, that's what Jesus came to do. And so if you're here in this place and you are living in the past and you're still beating yourself up over mistakes that you've made, failures in the past, sins you've committed, and you're like, why did I do that? I'm so stupid. I'm such a loser. I'm going to tell you this today. Don't let the Pharisee in you say what makes you think you have anything to do with God. The fact is this. God loves you with an unconditional love. So much so he sent Jesus Christ to pay for every mistake and every sin that you will ever commit because that's the love of God in your life. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now amen and just as this woman took this expensive vessel and she broke it and she poured out its contents its precious contents out of love for jesus later on just a little bit later on jesus would take his most expensive vessel he'd break it and he'd pour out its most precious contents his blood out of love for us to pay for our sins and see, before, because of our sin, we had no way of touching God. Now, because of Jesus, we can live in the presence of God. Come on, give God a big, big hand in this place, because that's what he did for you and for me. Come on, give God a big shout in this place, church. Are you learning something in this place this morning? Let's keep on going. Verse 40, it says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Some replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. See, according to scholars, they say that one denarius was equal to one day's wages. And so 50 denarii, that's the first debt. 50 denarii was equal to 50 days' wages. And you know, 500 denarii was about a year and a half worth of wages. And so if you're wondering how big these debts are, just think of how much you make in you know, 50 days. How much do you make in 500 days, in a year and a half? Those, re- those were big debts that these men could not repay. And see, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying in this parable. Jesus is not saying, Simon, you're the guy with 50, and this woman, she's got 500. And so just give her a break, man. Just give her a break. She's just a much worse sinner than you. So just let her have her moment, okay? See, no, that's not the case. Simon was just as much a sinner as this girl. Simon was just as much separated from God as this girl. In fact, in that very moment, Simon was more separated from God than this girl was who was at her feet. And see, here's the thing, is the point of Jesus' parable is not to compare who's the worst sinner The point of Jesus' parable is this, is how you respond to Jesus is a reflection of how much you think he's done for you. Let me write that. In fact, I think we have a slide for it. It's how you respond to Jesus is a reflection of how much you think he has done for you. See, in other words, if you think Jesus has only done a little bit for you, then you'll be like Simon. You're going to respond with just a little bit of love mediocre service, lackluster affection. But when you realize that Jesus has done something in your life that no one else could ever do or ever will do, when you realize that he's forgiven you more than you will ever have to forgive anyone else, when you realize that you had a debt that you could not repay and Jesus paid it all for free unconditionally, then you know that he's done it for you and you respond with a whole lot of love, with humble service, with great affection. That's what this woman did. It dawned on her for a moment that, you know what, What Jesus has done for me is not a small thing. What Jesus has done for me is amazing. Look at verse 44. What does it say? Jesus, he turns toward the woman and said to Simon, you know that he's a master communicator When he can not even look at the person he's talking to. He can look at someone else and be talking to his audience. He says this. He says, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You do not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet, You don't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. You know, what? back in Jesus' time, if you were hosting a dinner party in your home, there were some some customary courtesies that you would extend to the guests in your home. First off is when they entered, you kissed them on the cheek. It was called a kiss of peace welcome to my home. The second thing you do is you'd arrange for their feet to be washed because you're, when you're wearing sandals and flip-flops all day in the dust, then your feet get dirty. And so as a way to serve the guests, as a way to make them feel good, you will get their feet to be washed. Maybe you would do it or, or, or a servant, if you had money, would do it. And then not just that, not only would you wash his feet, but they would also anoint your head with oil just as a way to say, you are a guest of honor in this house. And see, because Simon did not value Jesus When Jesus went entered Simon's home, Simon extended none of those basic courtesies to Jesus. And see, what's the lesson here? The lesson is, you can write this down, the way you value Jesus is reflected in the way you worship him. See, if we're not careful, we can be like Simon. Is that maybe you're here today and you invited Jesus into your life, into your home, many, many years ago. But you don't treat Jesus very well. Maybe it's something where instead of serving Jesus, symbolized by washing his feet, we expect Jesus to serve us. And we almost treat him not as an honored guest in our home, but we treat him almost like a servant and an employee. Hey, 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 I didn't I pay you your tithe on Sunday? Why aren't you doing what I told you to do? Why aren't you doing it when I told you to do it? Come on, Jesus. You know, or, you know, instead of, you know, treating Jesus like the guest of honor that he is, symbolized by putting oil on his head, we act as if Jesus should be treating us as special. You know, why didn't you bless my plans, Jesus? Or, you know, when it comes to church, I'll go when I've got time, but I'm just really busy right now, okay, man? All right? I'll, I'll worship when I can. I'll go to church when I can, but, you know, I, I'm just really busy right now. We've got other stuff going on. have got stuff, family, that, that I've got a family to take care of. I've got other stuff going on. I, I need my me time, my time to breathe, okay? All right? And we kind of expect Jesus treat us as the one who's special instead of being close to Jesus you know represented by the kiss we kind of just leave Jesus on his own and we don't really spend time with him instead of welcoming Jesus we kind of fold our arms put our hands in our pockets as if we're doing God a favor by coming to church you know it's like you know have you ever done that before you know here's the thing if you or I've ever done that then guess what there's a Pharisee in the house it's you and me and and see we're giving God half-hearted worship half-hearted honor which isn't worship or honor at all. And here's the thing, why do we do that? Why do we treat Jesus that way? The king of kings, he's not just a guest in the house, he's the owner of the house. He's not just, you know, servant, but he's also savior and king. You know, he he didn't just do a small thing for us, he did the one thing no one else could do for us, he gave his life for us. Why is it that we treat him that way? Could it be because, like Simon, we don't realize or we very easily forget how much we need Jesus see, how how can we avoid making this mistake? You know, if, if a big revelation of God's mercy results in big praise and a small revelation of God's mercy in your life results in small praise, how can you and I keep our vision of God's mercy big in our lives? Well, there's a few things we do, and we talk about it often. Having a game time. Spending time with God every day. Don't take that time for granted. We talk about choosing an attitude of gratitude. That even in your worst situation, there's always things to be thankful for. And so choose an attitude of gratitude and thank God for the good things that are going on in your life. There's confessing your sins. So important. When you do something, say something you regret. You can don't just apologize to the person. Say it to God and say, God, I confess my sins to you. But there's one more exercise that I want to teach you today. From time to time, church, I'll teach you guys some exercises that I'll do in my own personal life that help me draw near to God. You know, I've talked to you about the hope in, the store up, the sit down. You know, I've talked to you about those things before. Let me give you one more. Are you ready for one more spiritual exercise today? Okay, here it is. I call it the I need you. I call it the I need you. And see, what is the I need you exercise? It's very, very simple. It's that every day, remind yourself that you need God. Make it your habit to pray it out loud and say, God, I need you. I need you more than I even know. I am desperate for you. I can't do anything without you. And even if you don't particularly feel like it that moment, even if you feel pretty self-sufficient in that moment, still say it out loud because you're going to find that your feelings will follow your intention. And see, there's, you can say it out loud, I, I, and this is something that I'll say every day as a staff together in our prayer meeting, We'll always say that. Every day we pray together. We'll say, God, we can't do anything without you. We need you so much. And so we do that verbally. You can do it musically. Take any song that you like to sing to God that expresses your need and your longing for him. You will Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You can just, whatever it is, Lord, I need you. You just say that to him, because when you do that, you're expressing your need for God. You're humbling yourself before God. You're expanding your vision of your need for God's mercy. You know there's, there's a, you know, there's a nonverbal way to do it. What is it? You lift your hands. You lift your hands to God. Not because you necessarily feel like lifting your hands. Who feels like lifting their hands? But here's the thing, is that you lift your hands to God as a symbol to say, God, I need you. I need you. You don't even have to say a word. You can just lift up your hands. Whether it's in church or it's at home, you just lift up your hands and go, God, I need you. you know, th- th- here's the thing, is that Simon, one of his problems, his biggest problem was he didn't think he needed Jesus. He thought, you know, I'm good on my own. I'm a spiritual person on my own. I don't need Jesus. When I go to heaven or when I see God, you know, God will look at all the good things I did, match it against the bad things I did, and and he'll see that the good things I did outweigh the bad things I did, and he'll probably applaud me and say, thank you for coming to heaven, right? and, And he thought he was a good spiritual person, but you're gonna find this, is that true spirituality, true spiritual maturity is not saying, look at how good I am, God. Look at how much good I've done. Look at how many people I've helped. Look at all the good things that I've done that, 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 that earn me a right to be in heaven. No, true maturity in Christ, true spiritual maturity is when you realize, I need Jesus more than I even know. And that's why the Apostle Paul, he would say, he would say, Christ came to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. That's why St. Francis of Assisi, you know, he's, a, he's a monk back in centuries ago. He said, there is nowhere a more wretched, more miserable sinner than me. And see, when you do the I need you, when you tell God I need you, whether you feel like it at the moment or not, your feelings will follow the intention and it will it'll help you maintain a big vision that you really need God. And the great thing about it is the more you say, God, I need you, the more you realize that God is everything you need. And that God, for as big as your need might be, God's supply is even bigger. As great as your need for Jesus is, God can give you far more than all you ask for or imagine. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Let me put it to you this way. do want you write this down. Since Jesus has given you his total and complete forgiveness, give Jesus your total and complete worship. Don't just worship God half-heartedly. Don't just worship with your hands in your pockets as if you're doing God a favor by being here. Don't just do half-hearted worship. Let the kind of worship you give God reflect the kind of forgiveness you've received from him. That's what the woman did. This woman, she had a big picture, a big revelation, a big understanding of God's love in her life. And so she responds with an act of worship that makes it so amazing for us to read today. Look at verse 47. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's been forgiven little loves little. See, don't, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. This, she's not saying this woman was forgiven because she loved Jesus. You don't, you don't become forgiven because you do good things. You can't repay the debt. Later on, in fact, Jesus is going to say it's her faith who saved her, not her performance, not her works. Her faith has saved her. And, and see, you could tell that this woman, what this means is that you could tell that this woman was forgiven by the way she loved Jesus. You know, it, it's that our response to Jesus reflects our revelation of him. Verse 48, says this. It says, then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Last point for today. You know, with, with other faiths, philosophies, religions out there, you can do all this work, you can try so hard, but you'll have no assurance that you're going to be in heaven. You have no assurance that God's going to accept you. And, and, and it's because it's all work-based and you never really know. God, is there, is there more? Is there more? With Jesus Christ, you have an assurance of your forgiveness. That you have a peace that comes with that. And, and I, I put it this way. Is that when you know your sins are forgiven, you can live in peace. Just when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, go in peace. When you know your sins are forgiven, you can live in peace. Is that when things don't go your way, when someone cuts you off in traffic, when someone steals your parking space, when you end up waiting longer for someone than you hope to, when someone says something offensive to you, when there's uncertainty in your future, can you remember this? Because of Jesus, your sins are forgiven. Don't sweat the small stuff because God has given you the biggest gift of all that you could never earn. Your sins are forgiven. What more could you really ask for? Amen? When we keep sweating the small stuff, we miss the big picture. We miss God's mercy. We miss God's heart. But when you have a big vision of the mercy of God, all of a sudden, you will live your life with great affection for Jesus. And so if you want to you know, live life with great affection for Jesus, if you want to get to know this Jesus, I'm going to ask us all just to stand up here in this place as we respond to God this morning. I not you stand up right now. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and lead us. They've been doing a great job this morning. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys to respond to God this morning. And um, we're going to ask you guys to uh, sing a song. We're going to respond to God with the song. And after that, I'm going to lead you in some prayer. Let's do that together right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God today, to his unconditional, amazing love for you and for me. If you're here in this place and you want to be forgiven of your sins, uh, and you want to open up your heart to Jesus and call him your savior, then we're going to give you an opportunity to that right now. To do that is as simple as praying a prayer. All you need to know is that you're a sinner who needs Jesus. That's all you need to know. You don't have to have read the Bible. You don't have to have, you know, gone through church, you know, a year or two. But you can, even if it's your first time in church, and you just want to receive forgiveness from Jesus. You want to receive Jesus' love in your life. It's as simple as praying a prayer to God today. And so that's you. If you know you need to pray that prayer, why don't you lift your hand to God right now. Let the height of your hand reflect how much you need him today. Just lift up your hand to God as an expression of your need for him. And want you just pray this prayer with me. In fact, those of you who've prayed it already before, why don't you pray this with those praying it for the first time today. Let's pray it loud together and to just say, Dear Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins, for rising again to give me life. I receive you into my life. I ask you, please forgive me of all of my sins and come into my life fill me with your Holy Spirit. I proclaim starting today I'm a brand new person. I am forgiven of my sins. I am a new creation because of Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place this morning?